today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Here's what you glory in, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. Loving kindness. When was the last time you glorified God for how loving He is and how kind He is because He is? But doesn't it seem kind of out of place? Okay, loving kindness, judgment. Where's the love? Oh no, that is loving. It's easy to think that loving means being without judgment. However, as you listen to today's message from Pastor J.D., he shares with you the truth that God is both a loving God and a God who gives judgment. He's perfectly just, righteous, and loving. To truly love someone does require discipline and challenge. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You have to understand that Jeremiah has been given a prophetic glimpse into the future of what's going to happen. And he's prophesying it, and he's proclaiming it, and what he's saying publicly, vocally, verbally to them is that he weeps and wails, because you see all of this, it's going to be burned up. You know, you hear those sounds, they're gone. The birds, they're gone. It's going to become a heap of ruins. Now, Again, this is, and you'll forgive me for repeating this, and I'll try not to repeat it again, but I just want to make sure you fully understand this. At the time Jeremiah is speaking this, things are happening, man. I mean, the temple is standing room only. I mean, things are going and growing and glowing, and you've got this doom and gloom preacher over here. It doesn't match up. There seems to be quite a disparity between your message and the reality of what's happening. Look at this temple. Look at these people. Look at the prosperity. You're saying, <laughs> what in the world? You're saying it's going to become desolate without an inhabitant? Laid bare, burned up, emptied out? Come on. Okay, I feel better now. Verse 12. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it would be like in the midst of, I mean, tremendous prosperity, you've got somebody saying, uh, here's what's coming. It would be so hard to wrap your mind around that. It's not to excuse it, but rather to explain it, I suppose you could say. Verse 12 has three questions. The first, who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why, third question, does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? Answer, verse 13, and the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, 
and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which, this is interesting, their fathers taught them. Ooh, that's how they learned about it. Therefore, verse 15, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. We saw that again prior. This is the second time it's repeated. Verse 16, I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 17, Consider and call for the mourning women, that they may come and send for the skillful wailing women, that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water. This is a reference to, actually we see it in the New Testament, to professional mourners. Did you know that they would actually pay people to come and mourn? <laughs> yeah. Man, you can't pay me enough. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't want to apply for that position particularly, but they would actually pay them to come and mourn and draw attention to this time of mourning. And that's what this is a reference to. You're not mourning, you're celebrating. You're not considering your partying. This is why whenever I do a memorial service, I always, my go-to is Ecclesiastes, particularly chapter 7. I mean, Solomon writes, I mean, at first read it's quite morbid if you misunderstand it, but he basically says this, it's better to go to a memorial service than it is to go to a wedding. And here's why. Because when you go to a memorial service, you're more introspective and you're more apt to consider the temporal nature of your life in this world, and you're faced with what everyone is faced with, the reality of death and the reality of eternity, and you'll take it to heart. You, you go to a wedding, that's the last thing on your mind. In fact, you'll probably get kicked out of that wedding if you start talking like this at a wedding. <laughs> We're not a, at a memorial service, what are you talking about? And that's what he's saying here. And that's what God has him proclaim here. Verse 19, for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the Lord, verse 20, O women, and let your ear receive the word of His mouth. Teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor a lamentation. For death has come through our windows, has entered our palaces to kill off the children, no longer to be outside, and the young men no longer on the streets. Speak, thus says the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field like cuttings after the harvester, and no one shall gather them. This carries with it the idea of bundling up 
the harvest to be gathered and taken in. And the bodies that, how graphic is this? The carcasses of men are going to be like that, except nobody is going to gather them. (laughs) I'm sorry, one last time. But could you imagine, you're there, Jeremiah is proclaiming this, these this temple message. And you're just there at the temple like you're always at the temple, and you're there with your family, and you're going to swing by this one, you know, uh, food truck and buy a shawarma. And you're, you're hearing Jeremiah say this. Kind of ruins your appetite a little bit, doesn't it? Verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Stop right there, verse 23, before we go to verse 24. The implication is the wise men were glorying in their wisdom, and the mighty men were glorying in their might, and the rich men were glorying in their riches. That's what they were doing. They were boasting in, proud of, and glorying in everything but the one who should receive all the glory. Verse 24, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising, look at this list, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. You're glorying in all of this. No, no. Glory in this instead. Glory in me, because no flesh is going to glory in my presence. Oh, you're rich, are you? You're glorying in that. Oh, you're wise, are you? You're glorying in that. Oh, you're mighty and strong. I mean, you're glorying in that? No. Here's what you glory in, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. Loving kindness. When was the last time you glorified God for how loving He is and how kind He is, because He is? But doesn't it seem kind of out of place? Okay, loving kinds, judgment. Well, <laughs> where's the love? Oh no, that is loving. And here's how I get there. God's going to judge, because God is a God of love. God is a just God, because if He were not a loving God, He would not be a just God, because how unjust would that be? were he not to mete out just judgment and righteousness in the earth. You know, there's a scene in the book of Revelation that is recorded. It's really quite astonishing, actually. There's this, I'll call it, heavenly gasp. Who is worthy to open up the scroll? Who who is worthy to settle this and right this wrong. Jesus is worthy. And oh, the 
relief worthy is the lamb. Oh, the wrath of the lamb. How's that for a paradox? When was the last time you saw a lamb that was wrathful? A lion maybe, but a lamb? The wrath of the lamb. Well, where's the love? No, that is love because he loves me and he's going to have the final word. He's going to have the final word and he's going to judge and it's a just judgment. Praise you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. That is loving. That is kind because you're settling it because you're worthy to do it. Because worthy is the Lamb that was slain for it. It is a just judgment, and it is righteousness. And for in these, says the Lord, I delight. Now, don't get the impression that the Lord takes delight in judging the unrighteous. In fact, we know the opposite is true. He takes no delight in meeting out judgment. But what he delights in is our glorying in him because he is just, because he is loving, because he is kind, because he is righteous. Behold, verse 25, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Because see, the Jews were like, hey, we're God's people. Oh yeah, them, yeah, we're, we, we get that, but not us, come on. Did you see the temple? Did you see how many people are packed in? Did you see the prosperity? Now ah, we're God's people. No, 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 wait. The circumcised with the uncircumcised. Verse 26, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. By the way, Egypt, Edom, Ammon, Moab, this would be considered modern day Jordan. And you've got Egypt on one side and Jordan on the other, and then Israel right in the middle. Isn't that interesting? And not just the neighboring nations, but all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. In other words, outwardly, yeah, you might be God's circumcised people, if you will, but inwardly you're no different than them. And as such, you will be judged like them. Chapter 10, how you doing? Verse 1, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. You know what he's referring to here? And again, he's publicly proclaiming this, and they would have known exactly what he was referring to. Astrology. Oh, this is what the Babylonians did. And it seems, according to these first two verses, that the house of Israel was learning their ways. The signs of the zodiac. By the way, it is a satanic corruption. Now, verse 3, we're going to get down and dirty. (laughs) You're going to have to bear with me. For the customs of the peoples are futile. 
For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas What? They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and (laughs) they cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. By the way, you know you got a problem when you got to carry your God, instead of your God carrying you. Now, we're going to come back to that. That's going to be germane to our understanding of what this is about, because this is the passage of Scripture, by the way, that those who say Christians should never have a Christmas tree because of what Jeremiah 10 says. This is a pagan custom. They would take and they would go out and they would cut down their own Christmas tree in that Christmas tree farm, and they would take it home, and they would put it in the Christmas tree stand, and they would decorate it and put silver and gold on it, and worship it. Hang on, just wait before you. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's just get this dealt with so we can move on. So does this mean that we should never have a Christmas tree? No. Well, wait a minute. I mean, that that's kind of describing the Christmas tree. I know. But do you worship your Christmas tree? Now, that's a different story. If you're worshiping your Christmas tree, we need to talk about that. That's different. That's not what we're talking about here. They were doing it to their pagan gods, and they were worshiping these trees as gods, and the worship surrounding the tree. I'm not going to get into it very um, just awful, I guess, for lack of a better word. So why is it okay for a Christian to have a Christmas tree? I'll tell you why. Because, in fact, I like how one commentator stated it, there are actually more comparisons to the Christmas tree being more acceptable for a Christian than there are comparisons out of this passage in particular for the Christmas tree not being appropriate for Christians to have. So in our home we have a Christmas tree. Don't email me. The tree is the cross. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. My Jesus hung on a tree for me, paid for my sins. The lights we put on the tree, a symbol of Jesus, who's the light of the world. How about the gifts under the tree? Ah, that's the best part, of course, especially when you're a kid, right? The gift of eternal life that was purchased by Jesus on that tree for me. He paid for that gift on that tree for me. So there, Merry Christmas. I'm not trying to be mean. I remember one Christmas sermon one year. This is a while ago now. And I think I titled it, You Can't Have Our Christmas Just Yet. After the rapture, you can do whatever you want with it, but not yet. (laughs) You can't have our Christmas yet. You also can't take our Resurrection Sunday celebration either. You can do whatever you want after we're gone, 
but not yet. Okay. Are we good? We're good. Merry Christmas. All right. Verse 6, Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. I love this, I love this, I love this. Who is like unto you, O Lord? Who is like unto you? There is none like you. And again, Jeremiah is proclaiming this. I love it when God boasts on Himself. He can do that, you know, because who is like unto Him? But they, verse 8, are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. Now dull-hearted, we're going to see it again here in a moment, and I'll expound maybe a little bit more on it. But it's not a phrase we really use much in our day, but it, it has this idea of just a heart that is hardened and dullened and uninterested, and here we're told foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver, verse 9, is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Ufaz. The work of the craftsmen and the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple, are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. By the way, we're still on the Christmas tree, so you know. I mean, they're adorning this, and, and they're putting all of this skill into this. And this is not cheap, by the way. Blue and purple? I mean, that, wow, they're really into this thing. Yes, they are. But, verse 10, you know when you read a but like this in verse 10, you know that everything heretofore, <laughs> God is going to say something about it now. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And here it is, at His wrath the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. I want to highlight and emphasize this for this reason. It's this verse that should give every one of us pause concerning the coming wrath of God upon all the nations on earth. I know I say it probably seemingly every week, but the prophetic parallels with Jeremiah's day and our day as are as stunning as they are chilling. Here you've got the Jeremiah's of our day proclaiming this. This is what's coming. God's judgment is coming on all of the nations of the earth in the seven-year tribulation. It is coming. You can be assured of it. And no one's listening. Not much has changed, has it? They just walk on by, jeering, mocking, ridiculing, laughing. But here's the thing. It's going to happen. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout this book, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words that God has given him, warning the Israelite nation that judgment is sure to come. But the people don't want to hear it. They'd rather carry on in their revelry, living their best life now. If you've noticed, there's a mentality of that in today's culture, too. Don't you dare give anyone warning about the red flags in their life. They're just taking that idea of eat, drink, and be merry and running with it. Unfortunately, these warnings in Jeremiah weren't heeded. and That's how it can be today as well, as God gives fair warning about what's to come in the future. But are you prepared for what God's warnings are? Have you taken heed to what he speaks and teaches about in his word? These aren't just mentioned as a side note. Everything in God's word is intentional and has a purpose. If you'd like to know more about what this all means, we encourage you to go to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. There, you'll find the ABCs of salvation under the resources tab. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he can save you from a life and eternity without him. If you're in the area and would like to connect with some others in person about this, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition in Jeremiah, here on In Spirit and Truth.